So Crisp, a tasty bite-sized podcast that serves business, bravery, branding, beauty, sex, love, motherhood, womanhood, feminism, labels, psychology, marketing, messaging, mavenry, musicals, and the mess we call life. All deliciously dished up and ready to consume. In fact, is there anything we don't discuss? Not with Jay Crisp Crow, copywriting queen from Crisp Copy in the kitchen. I hope you're hungry. So, we are talking it to Sam Winch, the course creator with a name that sounds like a lunchtime food. <laughs> uh, Sam shows us how to turn our content and knowledge into an engaging, user-friendly online course that your audience just laps up. And you may have remembered Sam from a previous So Crisp episode because in 2020, back in February, pretty much exactly, hang on a sec, two years ago, yeah, I can count, um, she came on to So Crisp to talk about fibs about passive income and turning your content into your course but a lot has changed in the world of courses and in the world of humans since I last spoke to Sam so Sam is back as part of our so crisp favorite episodes um, where we're doing a little bit of a repeat on um, the kind of folks that people just absolutely loved and wanted to hear more of so Sam is back today how are you Sam well, I'm blushing now, but other than that, I'm very good. So much has changed in the world. Obviously, uh, at the beginning of 2020, we were just learning about how our entire world was going to change. But for you, the entire world changing really, really kind of sh- probably shifted your business because every single man and his dog and his cat and the chicken and a pet rat suddenly realized that they needed to be much online. more online. Mm. And everyone wanted a course because, of course, all of the yoga instructors and Pilates teachers and dance schools and everybody realised that they could continue to serve their audience if they just got themselves on a course platform. Yeah. And I'm even bigger than that too. Like a lot of clients are, say, corporate presenters. So they used to go and do big sales training for corporate clients and those sorts of things. And you can't do big team trainings on site anymore. Well, you kind of can now, but you couldn't do big team trainings on site anymore. So it was a real panic across the entire spectrum, not just the solopreneurs, but right up into sort of those running big corporate programs were having the same issues. Wow. Yeah. Right. So what was that like? There was a bit of panic. I think Sam in 2020, February was very naive. And the last time we spoke, I was blissfully unaware of the drama that was about to unfold. And if I just thought about it, I guess a global pandemic was great for business, but it didn't feel that way because it just felt a bit manic and overwhelming. Um, But yeah, it was, it was kind of like everyone panicked at the same time. And it was really interesting to see that the way people approached it. So the inbox was definitely full to start with. A couple of people were going, oh my God, I can't do my presentation tomorrow and I have to fix this within the next 24 hours. And then there was like a second wave of people like four, five, six months, like mid to late 2020 who went, okay, we've thought about it for a while. Now's a good time. And then there's a third wave, which is kind of now, which is the people like a year and a half to two years later who just figured it would all be over at some point and hadn't bothered to fix it. And it's still not really over. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then for folk like you who, so you have, um, tell us about your subs. I love talking about subsets of ideal clients because obviously a lot of copywriting teachers talk about ideal clients and marketing Mm -hmm. folk, but um, I like to talk about the subsets of ideal clients. That's maybe not the best word, but that's the word that I tend to use because we all have like categories within our ideal clients that, um, and and they're radically different. So Mm -hmm. When, when you spoke about that just then, I hadn't even thought about that. Of course, you work with, with a lot of big corporates. So tell us about all the kind of different people that you work with. 
Yeah, and it's super broad. Like I've had this discussion with some people in the past. They're like, who do you work with? I'm like, well, where do you want to start on the like spectrum of people? So it really does spread from like solo service providers who have been doing what they're doing for a while. Um, copywriters are a prime example. Really good copy- copywriters. Their books are now full, but they're working their ass off. They're exhausted. They can't take any more hours on board or they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want some other way to share their content and their knowledge with the world. Um, next up, up from that, we do I do quite a few small business. So they've got a couple of employees. Um, they've tried to scale their business that way, but again, they realize they don't want a hundred employees. So they're looking for another way now to scale other than just adding more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yes, yeah, some big corporates some big clients who are doing either team training internally. So maybe they've got a team of a hundred and they're trying to build internal training or external training and recently a couple of local councils coming on board because they want to get information out into the public domain in a more readily available way. And as you know, not all people have a great attitude around their local council. So it's trying to find how can we produce something that's fun and engaging and people actually want to use and want to read because, you know, they don't always want to. Yeah, well, I will get back to that. So how, how do you do that? I'm going to ask you those questions again. Um, <clears throat> obviously, and for any listeners, you can go back and listen to Sam's 2020 episode right before the worldwide panini hit um, where we were having a little bit more of a, you know, calm conversation. Um, and you'll get some really good stuff from her then too. Um, course creation, I guess, hasn't changed that much in the fundamentals. But can I ask you, you made that really good point about um, well, that's how I found you is that I was maxed out, just like completely exhausted and didn't know what else to do with myself. And everybody kept saying to me, well, you have to scale, you have to scale. And I understood that to mean I had to start an agency or I had to bring yeah. on employees or I had to get an intern. If somebody even said that to me last week, like, oh, Jay, you need an intern. And I was like, oh, you have no idea. I've kind of, I've, I've poked around in that kind of corner and it just doesn't, doesn't work for me the way that mm-hmm. I want to run the business. So what does that feel like if anybody's listening where they're like okay pandemic aside if I am just feeling a little bit maxed out with the amount of stuff that I can physically do and produce in a day how does creating a course kind of alleviate some of that so to start with it feels way worse because suddenly you've gone (laughs) oh my god I have to create a course as well as continuing to run my business yes Yeah, there's a a spot where it doesn't feel so great. I'm going to be honest. And look, I'm right there with you because although I teach people how to build courses, my business is majoritively service-based, right? Because I do done for you course builds. So I'm right there too. Like how many courses can I build? Well, there's only so many. And I'm at the point now where I've expanded to a small team. And then again, it's like, well, do I want to have this huge empire and this big agency? Not really. Like I don't want to manage that many people. So Mm. what do I do? So I'm right there with everyone else. I'll I'll be honest with you. But What it feels like to start with is that you just physically can't do any more, but that's why I exist because then someone goes, we have to make a course and you'll be in the position that you were in, which went, I can't fit that in as well. Like I'm already stretched to the max. How do I possibly fit in a course as well? But, but, and I'm hoping you'll, you'll agree here. Once it's out of you, once some of that information is out of you and you can start to see how it's working and there's like this tipping point where you're like, Mm. oh, okay, I can see how this is going to work. But it is, it's a struggle to get to that tipping point because it feels worse for a little bit. It really does. Yeah. I think a lot of people too, that's a really good kind of segue into a lot of people think that they're going to build a course and then launch it. And then the hard work is done. And Mm. although the majority of the hardest work is done, it's still like having a course and promoting a course and maintaining a course and keeping course participants interested and engaged and actually doing the work. That is an entirely different ball game. 
like and it is constant like I've got three emails right now just from this morning that say I can't find my uh, the live call schedule can you show it to me again and it doesn't matter how many times you pin that in a Facebook group or you have it in the frequently asked questions section someone's always going to need you to reset their password or show you how it's it's consistent the yep. amount of stuff and energy that it takes just to keep people kind of at it and that's not to just make people do the work because that again is a whole nother level of it's a different skill set actually that I've yeah kind of had to figure out for my particular people like how to keep them doing the thing so I, I love that you're so honest about that because it isn't it isn't just a cure-all it, do you think that there are businesses that it just doesn't work for or do you think that there are personalities that it's not going to be a, a fix for yes and yes um businesses that it doesn't work for if you've if you've got something that's just super hands-on where they get their best learning experience from you and yeah. one of the things I really think about when I think about this is um pottery and I'm guess because I'm thinking about you know that fateful scene with the wheel with the clay and the hands but um it's one of those, like, it's just so tactile that you lose something by putting it online. You really do. Like, you will not get the same experience. Sure, you can teach online, but you're genuinely not going to get the same user experience. And so I think in industries like that, where something is so tactile, mm. you'd lose a lot by going yeah. online. Um, but then in terms of personality, you said this, like, it takes a really organized person to sort out a course. And I find that a lot of my clients um, who come to me have adult diagnosed ADHD or symptoms that would strongly align now that I've had quite a few of them. I can see the traits and like symptoms that strongly align with, not that I can diagnose, but, um, and so they come to me because their brain just doesn't want to structure content that way and doesn't want to structure support that way and doesn't want to follow up with all the clients and doesn't want to. And I get that. I'm lucky in the sense that my brain can do those things. Like it takes content, it just does organize it, but a lot of people can't. So if you're in that um, category where your brain just feels all fuzzy trying to think of all of those components, a course might not be the easiest thing to you to do or the best next step. And you may need support if you're going to do it. Mm. Um, it's just your brain just might not want to do it. Yeah. I always call myself a creative liberty gibbet because and because I literally resist. Like I can't, pen Graham says, let's, you know, do you want to go and see a movie on Wednesday night and, and have dinner? And the very concept of being penciled into my life so makes me get the EBGBs that I'm almost rejecting the entire date possibility at all. And when I started with the course, that's exactly how I felt. Like, I, yeah. what, what do you even choose to tell people? Because my very first course that Sam helped me set up and walked me through and watched all the videos and said, there's a weird, everything down to there's a weird gap here um, in my speaking. Um, it was about about pages because that's what I sold the most at, at the time. And that's what I really, really loved. And now I have a whole, obviously whole range of everything. But at that particular point, it was such a difficult choice about what to choose. And I think that you've mm -hmm. I've seen you say this before, and I know that I experienced it because I wanted to deliver everything because I am an over-deliverer and I want everybody that says, Jay, can you please help me to be able to download every single piece of information that is in my head about about pages? And I just want to plonk it in their head. And as you walked me through, that's not always the most helpful for the person taking the course. Can you kind of talk us through that? And also sometimes just not physically possible. Like oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you know, so much stuff. Like there is so much 
gold in the head of Jay now that I, I don't think we could put it all in one thing, right? Because it would just be instantly overwhelming for anyone else. Um, but that right, over-delivery is a really common problem. And we're taught so often that you give more, right? You give more, you give more, you give more. You have to give value, you have to give value. But from a course perspective, it's almost the opposite, which is we need to try and build the thing we're building in the least amount of steps possible using the least video possible, which sounds really weird. But I just... I think of myself as a user, right? I'm, I'm busy. I got a business. I got kids. I got whatever else is going on. If I sit down at my computer, I don't want more videos. I want less videos. <laughs> I do not want to spend more time working through your course. I want to spend less time. I want the outcome. Yeah. I want the solution. I want to get the, the thing that you promised me I'd get, but I don't want to watch the videos. Not really. Like yeah. I could be watching Netflix instead. So what I want is the least number of videos to tell me what I need to know. And yeah. it sounds, it's a really hard concept to wrap your head, head around. But And I think it is practice. I think for anybody who is in this process, if you don't have a SAM, um, and even, you know, like my third course I launched was my signature course. So it took me to practice goes to get to that point. And then originally it went for six months. People had to sign up to spend six months with me. Like that's a short-term relationship, for goodness sake. It was a bit fuller. Six months, it ended up with like 50 hours of video. And I was selling it on my sales page. I was like, oh, we've got 50 hours of video. And then when I kind of rehashed it in, in 2020, um, I real, like I sat down to watch it all myself and I barely got halfway through and I was like, nobody, who wants this? Like you, you may as well move into my house and take, and take me out for dinner instead of my husband because we are having such an intensive relationship at this point. And so at, during each round, this is the fifth round that I'm about to run now, I've cut it back and I've cut it back and I've cut it back. And so we started at six months. We are now down to nine weeks. Wow. Because I really, like, I know that people can write four or five pages of content in copy in nine weeks. No problem. Of course we can. But that actually takes some practice. It's sometimes your first launch of your course is not the best one. Is that right? I'm not even going to say sometimes, every time. <laughs> and even me, right? I build courses for a living, but I can, and this is a hard thing to talk to clients about because no one wants to be told that the first one they're going to launch is going to be a bit yes. crappy. Yeah. Um, and especially when you hire someone to help you, you don't want them to tell you that it's still going to be a bit crappy, even though you've hired me. So it's not a great concept to talk about in a sales process, but there <laughs> this concept of perfection and I have to make this amazing, perfect thing. We forget that you've got to take the ego out of this because just because you think it's perfect doesn't mean it's useful for your audience. And until mm -hmm. we've got them using it, who are we to say it's ready? Yeah, like how do you it's them. They have to tell us that it's working. They have to tell us that it's useful. They have to use the content. So the first one will always be a little bit iffy because yeah. until we've got that user feedback and beta testing isn't quite the same, doesn't really give you the same sort of feedback you want. Um, so until we've got them in it and using it and like you're right, until you get to second, third, fourth round, you really start to see what's happening and why. But mm. yeah, we've got to take us out of this. That's all ego talking. It's really about someone else using it and how it works. This episode is brought to you by the Crisp Copy Class. Of course it is. It's my signature course offering. The Crisp Copy Class is made especially for you by me. It's become one of my signature offerings because it does exactly what it says on the tin. It teaches you how to write converting copy. But it's more than that. It's also a community. Women from all over the world in all kinds of fields, in all stages of life and business, totally ready to level up their writing chops and give and receive support in the process. You receive live feedback from me. You can ask questions. You can have some thinking and brain picking sessions and then you get to set your words free so they can make you some money join the 2022 crisp copy class the truth is you already have the words you just need some crisp copy class confidence
Mm, I love that. It made a lot of sense to me. I don't think I really put the two together until when I really started focusing on, on sales pages and I started to kind of have this messaging around like you and I, you, the client and, and me, the copywriter can think that this $4,000 sales page is the mm. most amazing thing on the face of the planet. But until we launch it and until we get the clicks and until we put hot jar on it and see where people are hovering and see the spots that people are not even reading, it's not good copy yet. Like we can all pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, we're so clever, which is kind of how you feel when you finally launch the course, right? Like I love yeah. this thing. You should love this thing. But, but the great thing about equally course programs and sales pages is you do get to have that an email marketing actually you do get to have that data back pretty much as soon as people start using it right because you can see where people are clicking and if you have a good um uh course platform like member vault which i use you can immediately see what people are engaging with how often they're engaging what where they're clicking if they you can set up your course so that um, when people are finished a particular module, they actually click the, yes, I'm finished this module button. So you you get this kind of data back and then you can go and work on it, which is, I guess, speaking to our first point a little bit again, where <laughs> you, you, it's constant work. You're just mm -hmm. constantly updating this thing. It's never set and forget. Yeah. And I think that's something people forget. And that's something that the industry doesn't want to tell them, right? Mm -hmm. You want to tell people you'll just make this course and you'll make millions of dollars yeah. and you'll wake up to be rich. And I don't Five know what days, else they're saying, but course success. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can make a course that way, but a, a great course, a really supportive program is not set and forget. Like it just can't be. If nothing else, you will get the tech emails. I loved your descriptions of like, I can't find this list and I can't find this schedule and I can't find, like it, I saw a client's um, email the other day and they had one from the student. They couldn't get the course to work. But the reason it wasn't working is because they had an issue with their browser, their internet browser. Mm -hmm. And like, I can't fix the internet browser. Like the course is working. The course works for everyone else as well. But yeah. that client was having an issue with their internet browser that day. They downloaded something and it wasn't working. But of course, I mean, our course didn't work in their browser either. So mm. they want us to fix that problem too. And it, like those things will happen. They just mm. do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Something you said before about, um, you know, trying to get councils online and big corporates and stuff because, you know, so many people are able to, um, then access that information. Do you think that as a society and as a community that we are more likely to be able to pick something up and be happy with learning online than we were two years ago? Because that was a lot of, there were, I had a lot of um, clients come kind of flood in at the same time that were service-based, that were doing one-to-one -one, face to face kind of things that were suddenly like, I need to get online and I need a website right now, mm -hmm. um, all at the same time. And, um, and, but some of them were like, I don't even know if this is going to work. Like no one's going to watch my yoga videos online. And I think that the last two years have proven that that's not true. Um, but do you think that we have changed in the way that we're like, cool, there's a course online and there's a live class. I might do the course online. Yeah, I think that we've become more aware that we can pick things to suit our lifestyle. I do think it's still a barrier. And especially in Australia, um, internet isn't always affordable and it's not always readily available in regional areas either. Yeah, Definitely good internet. No, it's not at all. So there's still that barrier between people actually being able to access your content. And it's a real privilege to have fast internet that streams video. Um, not everyone has access to that. So I think it's, it's something to keep in mind along the way as well. Um, having both 
serves two audiences. Yes, there will be the audience now who values online because they're like, oh, I can do it in my PJs. Oh, I don't have to see other humans in actual life. I don't have to brush my hair. Like all of those sorts of things that we've become accustomed to. I have to put real clothes on to go somewhere. What are you talking about? Um, But I also think on the flip side of that, that some of us now value face-to-face, right? We've missed it. We've missed the connection. We've missed the gatherings of people. We've missed that thing. So I think as things start to calm down a bit and some places they have, you will see a resurgence in live lessons and face-to-face lessons because people have missed them, but that will not take away online completely because it's become such an important part of how we balance things now and how we fit things into our life that I don't think we can ever undo those changes. Yeah, I love that. So do you think for course creators who did create a course, say, two years ago and now it's going gangbusters, and I'm going through this right now. I'm, I'm, I sat down with my husband and I said, he's not, you know, not a business coach, but sometimes he's a good sounding board. I sat down with my husband and I said, like, I can't believe that I'm saying this because I'm most 50-50 introverted and, you know, I have enough humaning during the day. But I'm thinking about adding like a live element where people come up to my part of the woods and we sit down and we write together. And I never wanted to do that before. Yep. Um, the pandemic hit. Never, ever, ever did I want people in my personal neck of the woods, literally, to sit and write together. I was perfectly happy to be a Zoom participant in life. Um, Do you think that if you are having those kinds of feelings that it should just be an add-on to what you're already offering? Mm, No, I think there's a place to separate the two. Um, I'm, I completely agree with you. Like I'm a massive introvert too. I don't like peopling. And often I've had enough peopling just with my, my children that I don't need any extra peopling in my day. But I do sometimes, I went to an actual face-to-face networking event the other week and I had missed it. And I was like, oh, I missed humans. What is this feeling? Um, so you're not alone in that feeling at yeah. all. And there's lots of others like it. But I think we'll see a real separation between the two. Those who are really biting to go back to face-to-face, supportive, engaging, who want that sense of real community that we lose a little bit online. But I think there'll be an audience who are really happy not to go back. Um, And I would be tempted to offer a variety of options to suit those people, but I'm not necessarily meld them all into one because I've got a feeling they're going to be different audiences. Really good point. Oh, see, sometimes I use this podcast just to get free business advice. Sorry, just picked your brain. But I'm here for. So there was a um, there's something great that you mentioned before about um, video streaming and accessibility. That has become a huge, huge topic in the course kind of creation world in the last couple of years about accessibility. Um, and so what we're trying to do constantly is balance this. I don't want to overwhelm people and give them too much stuff to trawl through because that's actually a that is a barrier a lot of people won't do the work simply because they can't put their finger on the exact piece of information that they need exactly at that time they actually won't look through a module if there's four different lessons and find the right lesson you have to put the one that is perfect for them in front of them in the 25 minutes that they've set aside to do that one particular piece of work right so that's practically impossible when Mm -hmm. you are trying to create a course for 5,000 people rather than just one but on the flip side we want to give people as much information so that they can access the content in the way that they like to access the content so can you tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that we should be thinking about when we're thinking about trying to deliver the content to as many different types and styles of learners as possible So I think there's a difference between adding value, which is what we used to do, which is add lots of extra stuff and accessibility, which really means providing the same information in multiple avenues. Perfect. And that's the two different things. So there is a difference between providing more videos 
and providing yes. a video, but also the audio to support it and the transcription and the slide deck, for example. Mm-hmm. One person is very unlikely to use all four of them. Mm. Like I might listen to the, actually I won't listen to the audio, let's be honest. I will read the transcription because that's how I function. Yeah, um, I will read the content <laughs> in the transcription, but I probably won't ever press play on your audio unless yeah. it's Jay's podcast and that's different. Um, but I will choose the avenue that suits me if you give me options. Whereas mm. if you just provide more content, more stuff, everyone's going to feel overwhelmed. But I think, yeah, the difference between accessibility and the thing we used to do, which was just add more of things, is that we're providing the same thing in multiple formats and people will choose the format that they want and they mm. just won't look at the others, especially if you tell them really clearly, hey, the audio is from the video. It's not different. You won't learn anything extra. It's just from the video. And the transcription is just from the video. Just yeah. let it make real clear sense to them that they get all of the same things and they'll decide which one they want to press. And that's an organization thing too. Speaking back to what you were talking about before is like organizing your content, not just the creation of it where it's all of the guts and the glory, but actually the organizing it. So every single time somebody opens a lesson, it has it listed in exactly the same order so that people can find whatever the thing that they're looking for and it never changes. And you explain it again in the notes to say, you know, you can watch these videos twice as fast if you want to or you can download the audio here or you can download the transcription and there are you know timestamps through the whole thing if you want to find this or this or this yeah and um, it might even have been your course but I reviewed someone's course at some point and I actually brought up that specific point which was the entire way through the program they'd had here's the lesson or here's the video here's the pdf here's the video here's the pdf and I got to a lesson where there wasn't a pdf mm-hmm. and I was like it's not missing because it's just, there isn't one, yes. but I can guarantee you if they've had 12 experiences where there's a video and a PDF, <laughs> a PDF you're going to get yeah. a question that says, where's the PDF? Yeah. So, I think mine's missing the PDF. Yeah, exactly. So if you're going to use a system and a structure, keep using it, just stick with it because people like to know what's coming. They like to have consistency. They like to feel safe. Like it's, it's just all part of that habit building. Just follow along and do the same thing. Oh, cool. So what if, if people are out there and, and thinking, <clears throat> I'd love to create a course, but actually I don't have a push to, like I'm not somebody that's lost business by, you know, in the last couple of years, but I'd love to create a course about something. What do you think that there's not enough courses about? Oh, well, that's a good question. Do I don't you, think I've ever been. I've got an idea because tell me if you've ever seen one of these before. So my, I've got a friend who is a specialized dog groomer. Yeah. And of course, during the pandemic, nobody could take their dogs in to be groomed. So everybody's dogs just ended up matted and awful and terrible. And she is a dog grooming trainer. And the amount of times she has sat on my back porch and I've said to her, please, dear God, can we start your course this week? Because you would never have to groom another dog. Um, and so we went on to Member Vault and had a little look. And one of the highest performing Member Vault you know, you know how Member Vault shows yeah. you the most 10 engaged courses that month or whatever it is on the little list um, was is a dog grooming course. Yeah. I love I'd to go look, and poke around in that list. I absolutely love poking around in that list and seeing what's going check? on. Yep, I do. Yeah. And I open them all up and I have a look. Look, it's an interesting <laughs> question because I've had customers, uh, clients recently who've launched courses in what you would think would be fairly um, full <laughs> environments. So um, one about sort of, running your business, but financially getting really secure and, and cash flow and all those sorts of things. There's plenty of people who talk about this sort of stuff. There's plenty of people who talk about money. Um, she's had a sold out launch because yeah. she's got an audience who want to hear from her. So yeah. Yeah. I think if your audience 
enjoys what you do and you have an active audience and you are already too busy, then there's space because your audience obviously likes you and wants to hear from you. And that's, it's a possibility. Um, I'm sure there are options out there that there aren't courses on. Um, I'm yet to find one, to be honest. So there's courses on just about everything now, but that doesn't mean that you've missed the boat. And especially if you already have an audience or a group of people who like to listen to what you say, it's a really good starting point because, you know, they want to hear more from you. Yeah. I would like a course for somebody to teach us how to take our own brand photos in case we're ever locked down again. I would love that. And I want everything from which ring light to order. Like I don't want to do any research. I literally want a list. Go here, use this URL. By the way, it's an affiliate link. I don't care. Take my money. Every single thing down to now stand here, now pose like this. Boom, done. I want that. I know a photographer who during the pandemic was doing their sessions virtually. I love it. She would like, she'd set up your Zoom camera. She'd show you which ring like to buy and what to do in advance. And then she'd take the photos through Zoom as well, but she'd get you to set up your camera and take the photos. So so she would coach you through it virtually. She was your virtual photographer, which was pretty cool. See, so clever. People are so clever. Yeah, so cool. So we have talked about MemberVot a couple of times um, today because I know I'm on it and you were, are you still an ambassador for MemberVot? still on it. So um, this is something that just kind of came up today. Not we, we had this, obviously this podcast episode booked in a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then today, everybody got an email from MemberVault saying that their plans are changing. So that obviously throws, that happens all of the time mm-hmm. in, in course creation world, doesn't it? And, it? and it happens no matter what platform you're on. Yeah. And I think this is something I spoke a couple of um, weeks ago to um Gabby, a copywriter um, who used to be a launch funnel strategist, and she said so many women spend so much time trying to pick just what email platform to use, like that's the biggest problem, and it's really not. It's like what are you going to put on the email platform? And I think a lot of people do the same thing with course platforms. It's such a huge decision about what to choose, and there are so many different options. Um, And one of the the ways that people can figure out what they want to choose is coming into your group and having a look on your website because you do do a lot of like rundowns about how certain things work and and how they work for you in comparison to a different kind of business but this kind of stuff where you get an email out of the blue from a platform it happened with bcast last year that my podcast platform um, at the end of last year they sent out uh, an email basically saying nope we're like tripling everything and this is how it's going to be and they had huge pushback so that kind of thing happens all the time can you kind of talk us through those kinds of hiccups Yeah. So I think it's like anything, right? Like prices change, platforms change, things change. Price of your electricity isn't the same all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, it's part of being in business is being risk aware, I think. And it's like, if you have all of your eggs in one basket, there's a risk involved with that. I did see, and it brought up a really interesting discussion, which I think it's worth having here. Someone's biggest complaint was they'd promised lifetime access to their students, but they're only on a free account. And as of however many weeks away member vault won't have a free level anymore so they're going to close down the free accounts and so there was a bit of a rant about this is false advertising and and i was like well to be fair member vault never ever ever promised you that their lifetime account would be their free account would be there for a lifetime Mm -hmm. you just said that you had a free account but you've promised your clients their content will be there for a lifetime well that's a contract between you and your client not between your client and member vault. It's not member vault's responsibility to make sure your content is lifetime access. And so it brings up a really interesting discussion about when we say things like you get lifetime access to this course, are you as a business prepared to take on the responsibility for providing that access? Mm -hmm. And if your course platform goes down, what's your plan for that? Because businesses close. 
new businesses open, old businesses close. Like it's just the way of the world and it's the way things work. And no one promises you your course platform will be there forever or work the same way forever. So or free forever. I mean, or free forever. It's yeah. an expectation too that when you start a business, I, like I always think minimum minimum viable product. Yep. So, you know, when Member Vault brought out their lifetime low rate, even though I didn't need it at the time because I didn't have enough uses yet, I was like, do you know what? I'm having me some of that. Yeah. Just and I did too. Case this goes bananas. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I also, when, when Learn, when Thrivecart brought out their own um, learning platform at the low rate and it was on sale for whatever, a week, I bought that too. I haven't used it, but it's sitting there. <laughs> Just, in <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of completely agree with you and I, the thing you said which was really interesting is that um you know we think so hard about the decision about which platform but you know we we put aside the decision about the content and at the end of the day there are hundreds of course platforms and most of them are pretty good like you won't go terribly wrong if you just closed your eyes and pick one of the top six yeah honestly like they have pros and cons they each do their own little thing but as a general rule if you want to upload video and some text and like make a sale yeah they'll all do that some things yeah yeah Every yeah. single one of them will do that. So it really isn't the end of the world. I'm still a MemberVault user, still love MemberVault, can completely understand from a business decision where they've decided to change their price structuring. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it has created a big shift and it will change some people's minds and that's okay. Mm. Such, is, such is life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love it. So what do you think, before we wrap up, what do you think is the most valuable thing that you can do for your users once you have them in once you've gone through the whole process because obviously we've kind of skimmed over the fact that you've created you create a course and we've talked a little bit about maintaining it we haven't spoken a lot about selling it which is a whole different thing and, and that's something that as a copywriter I see all the time is that people have created this thing and they've put six months to 12 mm -hmm. months worth of work in you know really solid put the kids to bed eight o'clock working till midnight creating a something but and yet they want it sold within three weeks um, so we've kind of skimmed over the, that that part of the process. And by the way, selling it in three weeks is barely ever possible um, unless you have a massive, massive, massive audience. Um, but what do you think when we get to the point where we're actually we've created the course and we are delivering it, what do you think is the most valuable thing that we can do for our users? Because they are kind of the most, you know, the mm -hmm. course is an entity unto itself and you're very, very important as the course creator. But the most important part of this entire equation is the person using it yeah so the best thing you can do for them is find the sticky point so in most courses there's a point where people kind of get to and it gets harder so it might be the first time your course have to put pen to paper or it might be the first time you ask them to go and type something live on the internet like whatever that might be there is a sticky point every course has a sticky point and the best thing you can do is start to look at your user data or start to just talk to people and find where people get stuck and implement something that helps with that stickiness. Mm. Now, the what will be really different depending on your course, but I was talking to a PR lady yesterday and she had this awesome thing where at the near the end of the course, she pairs them with a journalist and a journalist reviews their thing and then gives them pointers and then connects them with someone who can actually publish it if it's worthwhile publishing. Awesome. So the sticky bit would be actually doing something with that PR, whatever, like they've written this thing, but it's too scary to put out in the world. So she's paired them with someone who will guide them through checking it's okay and sending it for them. So it. the stickiness of sending it has gone. And that that was so cool. Like I haven't seen anyone else doing it that well, but yeah, find the sticky point where people are getting stuck, where they've suddenly stopped doing your course, stopped doing your work and they've gone very quiet. If you can find that point and implement a solution, that's the best thing you can do for them. 
That's such good advice. Gosh, you're so clever. Um, so we normally wrap up a so crisp with a. Do you have a? Do you still have a favorite? What was your favorite word last time? You probably can't remember. It's two years oh, ago. I've got oh, no well, idea. Shifted. Do you have a favorite word now? I don't think I have a favorite word. Do you? Do you? Are you one of I'm those? I'm not a words person. I'm not a word person. Are you one of those? Busy, you have a word for the year though. Uh, look, I tell you, you what. To think about January that. and February has been such a mushy I time. I don't know if I did. I, I never have a word did. for the year. I always fail that. I don't think I'm a proper fempreneur. I don't have a word for the year. There's oh, far too many words to pick. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do the takeout? The may your day be so crisp as crisp as whatever your Christmas thing is. A crisp as a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. yeah, I think you did that last time too. I love it. It amuses me. Thank you so much, Sandwich. You are an absolute pleasure as always. I'm extremely lucky to be able to have daily access to you because you not only Sandwich, the course creator and sounds like a lunchtime food, but you are my friend. And I'm so grateful for business to be able to bring us together and for me to be able to talk to you on the daily. Um, oh, where? I got <laughs> you can't, a, I got you can't see because I'm never publishing this with the video because I'm sitting here in my house dressed with a hole in it and my bra's showing and no makeup on. But Sam just did a little where to your face. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for talking to us again. You are definitely one of the SoCrisp favourites, according to the data that I collected from my podcast. So um, I'm sure that people will love to hear from you again. And if you have an idea in your head that is just constantly pressing your creative button where you're like, I would love to do this thing. I'd love to have a course. I'm definitely ready for the work, but I need somebody to hold my hand or show me how to do the entire process. Then look Sam up at samwinch.com.au and you too can be internet friends with Sam. Thank you so much, Sam. Thank you, Jay. It's a privilege. You've been listening to So Crisp with copywriter, copy coach and consultant Jay Crisp Crow. If you've loved this episode, get all the juicy details and links at crispcopy.com.au forward slash podcast. Make sure you never miss a bite by subscribing to So Crisp wherever you get your podcasts. Want to help us spread the deliciousness? Rate and review this show and share with your mates. Remember, if there's a copy question you want nibbled at, email me straight away right now.